Life will be different for Deshaun Watson this year, while Tua Tagovailoa has a unique pull. We consider how to approach the quarterbacks on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. And welcome in to another episode of Fantasy Football in Teen. Hope your weeks are getting off to a nice start. I am Michael Beller, joined as always by Derek Van Riper. DVR, happy Monday to you. Happy Monday indeed. Another weekend has faded and hopefully this week will be better than the last. Let's hope so. That's all we can hope for, right? That's all we can hope for. Improvement on the previous week. That's what we're gunning for here on Fantasy Football in 15. We've got a uh, COVID update that we're going to have to run through really quickly. The the opt-out date for players still fluid, still moving around. The league wants to move it up. Uh, That could happen uh, as soon as uh, today. I mean, it could have uh, actually, Derek and I are taping this here on Sunday, so uh, it's possible that that has already happened. But uh, Likely to be Tuesday or Wednesday was supposed to be one week after the new CBA was signed. Looking like that is not going to be the case. So uh, maybe are due another wave or two of opt-outs in the next couple of days. Keep your eyes on that. Matthew Stafford was placed on the COVID-19 reserve list. Uh, that's the third big name from the Lions joining Kenny Galladay and TJ Hawkinson. So another thing to keep our eye on. Uh, does seem like the NFL is getting its testing protocols uh, out there. And um, in a way that is making it easy to keep track of uh, all these players and easy for them to eventually get back on the field. Uh, Let's move on, though, Derek. We've got uh, a few interesting things to talk about here. We're going to focus on a pair of quarterbacks, uh, Deshaun Watson and Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, We're going to focus on Watson first. He had a Zoom call with Houston Media in which he said that life is, quote, different without DeAndre Hopkins. Um, Of course it is. Uh, Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson uh, have been one of the best QB wide receiver duos in the NFL over the last few years. And interestingly enough, Deshaun Watson has actually never played an NFL game without DeAndre Hopkins on the field. So week one will be the first time he steps onto an NFL field and is not only not calling DeAndre Hopkins a teammate, but doesn't even have him to throw to. And that is going to be a very different world for Deshaun Watson. To me, he's one of the hardest players to peg this season because we know what his underlying skill set is. We know what his talent is. But he doesn't have that go-to receiver anymore, and that makes it hard for me to decide where I want him, both in the quarterback pool and in the player pool at large. Where are you on Watson? I just drafted him in the flex league that I was in on Friday. I'm in the super flex snake draft, and I took him at the 2-3 turn. I had the first overall pick, so he was 25th overall. And that's a league where, of course, quarterbacks get pushed up a lot more because everyone's going to play it like a two-quarterback league. So I guess I'm not panicking, although I'm curious to see how this actually plays out because it is very strange to have a player as good as DeAndre Hopkins on the field with you at all times and then just not have him there. I think what they've done here is, of course, they replaced him with Brandon Cooks, and I think they're relying a lot more on Will Fuller this year. If Will Fuller's on the field, we've seen that rapport already Mm -hmm. uh, with Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller that gives you some confidence that maybe Fuller could kind of sneakily become a wide receiver one. Like I think it's a high risk, high reward sort of proposition. But if you're talking about mid round receivers who could take a leap, Will Fuller has the talent to take a leap. It's just his body never really lets him do it. Uh, so the per target efficiency is off the charts there. I think Brandon Cooks is a guy that's had multiple concussions is definitely risky as the new number one based on volume. So there's some concerns there, but I do think if you get most of a healthy season from both of those guys, that might, cover up the problem just enough to keep Watson 
at his previous levels, as difficult as losing DeAndre Hopkins is going to be. So I still see him as kind of a top five, top six quarterback, still a guy that I prioritize in that range. I think the key difference here, though, is that in a single quarterback league, I'm staying away from that group of players because mm-hmm. I feel like the gap between four, five, and six compared to seven through 14 is so small that I'd rather go after another running back, go after a second-tier tight end, fill out my receiving core. I'd rather just use that draft capital elsewhere. So I'll probably have Watson in a couple of different super flex leagues and two quarterback leagues, and I may not have him anywhere in single quarterback leagues unless it's an auction scenario and the price kind of more accurately reflects how he stacks up to other players at the position. Yeah, we're in the same boat there. I can't see myself uh, going after him in drafts in any sort of one quarterback league. I just don't think the value is there. I am. A, it sounds like I'm a little bit more concerned about the loss of DeAndre Hopkins. I think Deshaun Watson is a great player, and I think it's more always going to be the quarterback lifting receivers, no matter how good the receiver is, than vice versa. So I do think that Deshaun Watson can have himself plenty of success uh, without Hopkins now that he's got Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller in his disposal. I just worry about the health of those guys. I mean, you referenced both of the health issues that those guys have had a litany of injuries for both Cooks and Fuller. And if he loses just one of them, then I really do think you're looking at a huge chunk taken out of his production. Even the best quarterbacks can't do it without someone on the other end doing some work for them deep down the field. And without Hopkins, I do worry about what these other guys are going to be able to fill in because of their injury histories. And it, it's, you know, it's, it, how best to say this? It's so easy for a quarterback to get comfortable with having a player like DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, how many plays does Houston draw up just for DeAndre Hopkins on a, in, in any given week, right? I mean, every single week there's going to be plays where they know, you know, not just the first read, but we're throwing to DeAndre. And then when Watson gets in trouble, something that happened quite a bit because of how he can get himself out of that trouble and make big plays and because this offensive line has been an issue from the day Watson stepped foot in Houston, how many times is he able just to throw it to DeAndre and get bailed out in that way and get big plays in that way? And obviously there's an underlying skill set from Watson that makes that possible but there is no more DeAndre Hopkins to help bail you out. Brandon Cooks is a great receiver in his own right. Will Fuller is an explosive receiver who has had some of the best per-target, per-game numbers in the league over the last few years. But neither of them can do what DeAndre Hopkins does. And it does concern me a little bit that the uh, fall in uh, Watson's draft stock hasn't been what I would say uh, sharp enough to match up with the fact that he just lost not only his number one receiver, but one of the very best receivers in the NFL. I think he's comfortably outside the QB top five of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson. I think I take Matt Ryan ahead of him too. And that's where I start thinking about him maybe as a you know the QB seven or lower, more in a group with uh, Carson Wentz and Drew Brees, guys like that. I don't think he's worth that premium quarterback pick. Yeah, see, I, I've got him in that that Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott range still. Like, I think part of that's from the the floor that Deshaun Watson still has from what he brings as a runner. We're talking four to five hundred yards on the ground, four to five touchdowns on the ground. Uh, that offsets a lot of the potential flaws, but it is an investment in some combination of Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks being mostly healthy this year, and that is a little bit scary at the price, especially again in single quarterback leagues. I think. You're you're not getting as much of an advantage as you would like if those receivers fail to stay healthy. I think in the two quarterback league where replacement level is actually pretty low, 
I'm more comfortable with Watson because we just know he's the guy. And right. we know that even if he does fall into that Matt Ryan sort of range, that's not necessarily going to cost you your league. You can still win even in that outcome in a two-quarterback league. Really quick, uh, do you con- get yourself concerned at all with his touchdown on the ground uh, potential with David Johnson there? No, I, I think maybe I'm not all in on David Johnson. Some people are. I think we've talked about him on a few of the debate episodes I think we've done. He's just not the player he used to be. At least he doesn't look like he's the guy who broke into the league a few years ago and, and flashed RB1 in the entire league sort of upside. I think we have to look at that situation and say, look, they're going to try and use David Johnson a lot, but this offense revolves around Deshaun Watson. Everybody else comes after that, and that includes David Johnson. So I think I'm not concerned about that. I can understand some people looking at it and saying, Bill O'Brien's going to try and justify that trade at every opportunity. So inside the five, it's going to be David Johnson every time. This is going to be a great TD year for David Johnson. I just don't see it playing out that way. All right, let's move on to another exciting quarterback, that being Tua Tagovailoa. His uh, starter in Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick, at least we have to assume he will be the starter at this point, uh, was also having a Zoom uh, call with the assembled media in Miami. Zoom call weekend for sure. And uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick said that uh, Tua Tagovailoa just has this air about him. People gravitate to him, and he understands that he's just the placeholder, that coming courtesy of our own Josh Tolentino, who just moved over to the Dolphins beat from the Rays, and that he knows that Tua eventually is taking over. What I want to know is, with what this sneaky offense that Miami has put together, that Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Mike Kosicki, Jordan Howard, Matt Breida, especially in Superflex 2QB leagues, do you find yourself circling back? When do you find yourself thinking about Tua as a potential draft target? I've been getting him as my third quarterback in those formats, and it's usually late. Like in the Scott Fishbowl, it had to be round 12, round 13. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was it was weird because he seems like he's very likely to play for a good chunk of the 2020 season, if not all of it. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick may only be there as a mentor. Like, And, and Fitzpatrick made some comments that, Make it very clear, he understands that. He doesn't expect to keep Tua on the bench all season whatsoever. Uh, and I think you're right. This is a better offense than people might realize. I think it might be maddening from a fantasy perspective in the backfield, but Jordan Howard and Matt Breida complement each other very well. You know, Preston Williams was playing very well before the ACL injury. Devontae Parker finally reached that level we were hoping for. Gesicki looks like a legitimate top 10 tight end. So I think you know Parker and Gesicki might be the two most reliable options from a fantasy perspective in this entire offense, but the supporting cast as a whole kind of puts Tua in a position to be successful right away once he gets that opportunity. So he's a QB3 in a super flex mm-hmm. scenario with an up arrow. Uh, if you really wait at the position and try to draft him as a two, it might be a mistake because you have to wait a few weeks and you'd be throwing a running back, a receiver, or a tight end in that super flex spot, which I'm not comfortable doing to begin a season especially. I think that's a, a bi-week tactic only. I, I think he's one of those guys, though, that could just win the job outright. So I'm definitely intrigued. I love him as that third quarterback in that format. And who knows, maybe he becomes a viable streamer in single quarterback leagues before the end of the season. 
I think once he takes over as the starter, he definitely at least enters that viable streamer discussion. And I think it will prove to be that. I agree with you. QB3 to start the season in Superflex, who could play his way into being a QB2. I'm not sure he's ever going to be the sort of guy who you, this season, this season only. I think he will be eventually. I don't know, but I don't know if this season he's going to turn into someone who you want in your starting lineup week after week, one QB or Superflex. Doesn't matter. I don't know if he's going to fit that just yet. But I do think that he is going to be someone who is very, very intriguing once he does take over that starting job. Again, a sneakily good offense in Miami. And from all accounts, he is on track uh, as he makes his way back from that gruesome hip injury that ended his career at Alabama, of course, without OTAs, without minicamp, without a traditional training camp. Uh, We haven't really been able to see that just yet and see how he looks on a football field. But Everything we're hearing suggests that he will be at least ready to play early in the season. Gotta believe Ryan Fitzpatrick gets that week one start. At least that's what I think. But I do think it's not too long before Tua is eventually the starter in Miami. So definitely someone interesting to keep in your mind, Superflex owners, as you get to the back ends of your draft. One more thing to talk about here. Let's talk about David Njoku. Uh, He has made some news this summer saying that he wants out of Cleveland. Now he's off that. He is all in with the Browns, uh, tweeting this out, saying all in Cleveland, let's do this. So at least one more year for David Njoku with the Browns, we can assume that he will be there. And another interesting guy, I think, late in drafts. Obviously, this team went out and made Austin Hooper a lucrative offer for a reason. They plan on using plenty of Austin Hooper this season. But you've got Kevin Stefanski there in Cleveland coming over from Minnesota where he used a ton of 12 personnel. He's always been a guy who is going to lean on using two tight ends. I think we're going to see that quite a bit from the Browns this season. And no one's fighting you for David Njoku. He's still that same big-time athletic pass-catching tight end that has had us excited uh, over the last couple of years and just hasn't been able to put it together. He's the tight end 32 by ADP, Derek, and an average draft position of 266.39. So if you want David Njoku, you can get David Njoku. Is there value to be had here? I think so, but it's got to be a league with a very deep bench. I mean, NFFC yeah. leagues have 10-player benches, so in a situation like that, you could be one of your last picks and you could justify it. But I think what you need, if he's not going to get traded out of Cleveland, somebody ahead of him in the pecking order for targets probably needs to get hurt, even with the potential use of a lot of 12 personnel because they have Beckham, they have Landry, they spent all that money on Hooper. We saw Kareem Hunt catch a lot of passes last year. Maybe Hunt ends up falling out of that role a little bit. Different coaching staff this year might not use him quite the same way, but I mean, Kareem Hunt has shown he can play. Like, there's no reason to think they're going to completely just dismiss him. So, as I look at it, you know, Beckham Landry, Hooper Hunt, all four of those guys are probably ahead of David Njoku in the mm-hmm. pecking order for targets. Nick Chubb's on the field a ton, of course. It's a guy who could easily win a rushing title again. Like, he's, he's that good. Uh, so, I, I look at this whole situation and it just seems like Njoku, he could be efficient on a per-target basis, but he might not be very reliable week to week. So it's going to be a deep league like an NFFC, maybe a best ball scenario too. One yeah. of your last darts in a best ball league where he's your third tight end. And once those things fall into place, perhaps he has a couple of big games that actually end up getting him in your lineup that way. Yeah, I could definitely see throwing him on the back of pretty much any roster, uh, knowing that he's not going to be a viable starter early in the season, knowing that it may never happen for him. But I just think that there is some value to be had when you consider the fact that he's going after Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert, Dawson Knox in typical drafts. 
I know that those guys have clear paths to playing time and clear paths to targets, and that is really what this is all about. But David Njoku, I think, is a better talent, has more raw ability than any of those guys. So if you're already thinking about drafting one of those guys who is going to be a low-level contributor anyway, I would much rather chase the talent and chase the upside that David Njoku brings to the table. So I could see myself certainly circling around to him, circling around to Tua Tagovailoa late in drafts, really in any sort of format. And that's going to do it for us here on this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. If you could rate, review, and subscribe to the show, we would greatly appreciate it. And if you are not yet an athletic subscriber, go ahead and get yourself 40% off your first year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash football in 15. For Derek Van Riper, I am Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will be back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.